I would like to take you to the 27th Psalm and talk to you today about the Lord is my light and my salvation. Psalm 27, for our introduction, we'll just read the first verse. Verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And for our introduction, we'll just read that first verse, though I'm hoping to get through this psalm. It's only 14 verses long. And talk to you about this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? On our vacation this year, and most of you here know, if not all of you here know, we go to the same place where I was brought as a child, down there on the Jersey Shore. For those of you who are not aware of a small part of my story of how I came to Christ, it was during a family vacation back in the early 70s when I was walking down the boardwalk of Seaside Heights. There was a young girl handing out tracts. It was a local church that had a ministry of handing out gospel tracts. As I was walking by, she just put this track in my hand, and I took it, and I kept on walking. Never spoke to the girl. She was about my age at the time, I remember. When I sat down a little bit later on, I read through it. Over the years, I'd read through it again and again. It was a chick track, one that we have in the back here. It says, this is your life. And then these tracks, if you're not aware of chick tracks, they're filled with scripture verses. And then he animates them with his cartoons and a story that goes with it. And so I'd read that and I'd read the scripture and read that and read the scripture. And that's what began my journey to Christ, to find Christ. So we're on the vacation this year. And over the years, and mainly in years past, I would get the family ready. My wife and I would get everybody ready, even on vacation, go to this church. One time in the years past, I remember I was walking up the steps to this church. Now, I don't know anybody in this church. I don't know the pastor. I don't know the people. No one. It just simply had a special place in my heart because this is the church that gave me a gospel tract that led me to the Lord and to my deliverance and so on. The former denomination that I was with had a church across the river, and I had gone to that once or twice, but I wouldn't go back because this little church here had the word of God, and the pastor was a good teacher. He really was. So we're going up the steps, and I hear the Lord speak to me, and this is all that I heard, and he says to me, the Lord says to me, the younger pastor is trying to usurp authority over the older pastor, which I don't know anybody in the church, anyone at all. Didn't know what that meant, had no clue what the voice meant. Sat down there, as you are today, listening to me, and we had another couple that were in our church in the Bronx, friends of ours, that also accompanied us and came to the church. His name happens to be Ray as well. And he leaned over to his wife during the beginning of the service before the pastor got up. And he says, you know, Pastor Ray has a word for this church. Very, very unusual. We hadn't spoken, so he wouldn't know. I hadn't spoken to anybody, not my wife, not anyone. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out what does this mean? The younger pastor is trying to usurp authority over the older pastor. As the service went on and the pastor was come up, it wasn't the old man. That was the one I went to go actually see. He was the good teacher. It was a younger man. And he got up there with a rather depressing look. He announced to the church, I'm so upset today, I can't even preach. Uh, just make sure you're at the business meeting, which I think was that day. And that was it. And then the word had come back to me that came into my heart and spirit when I was walking up the steps. 
Now, we have been at this church many times. I don't remember anybody ever greeting me, shaking my hands or anything. But this day, as I'm standing with my wife and my young children at the time in the foyer, one of the deacons comes up to me. I says, hi, my name is whatever. They asked me my name, and I told them, and I said, well, you know, I'm a pastor from upstate New York. And I just simply said to him, I said, the ministry that you have had on the boardwalk led me to Christ, and I gave him a little bit of my story. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. He said, would you mind, now remember, this is a Baptist church, and I'm identifying as a Pentecostal. And he asked me, he said, would you come back and speak to the Sunday school? So I'm on vacation, but told my wife what was transpiring, and nobody really has a clue what was said to me coming up the steps. And I said, yeah, sure. So here I am now on vacation as a guest. I don't know anybody. I don't know the pastor. I don't know who this deacon was except his name that he introduced himself by. And I'm speaking to this Sunday school group, and I shared with them how I was born again. I was sharing with them how their church was used of God to lead me. And now that I'm a pastor, I shared what I was delivered from and that story. And the people started to weep and they were crying. You could see that they were shook up. I knew that it wasn't only about my story. But they were taken back by that. And I kept telling them during the Sunday school lesson, I said, now listen, whatever happens, make sure that this work goes on, that this church goes on, because it's an important part, and you'll never know the outreach you've had and the effect that you've had. I'm one of them. I told them you know, some of the things that were accomplished at that time in my ministry. We already had a radio broadcast going and all of that. So that was accomplished by one gospel track that came out of your church, and you never knew about it all these years. You never knew about it. Well, after I finished with the Sunday school, we had a word of prayer. Remember, the people are weeping and crying. The older pastor, who, again, I didn't know him. I never met him. He says, can I see you in my office? I said, sure. And so we sat down before I said anything to him. He said to me, he says, you know, it's a very difficult time for our church. He said, I had this young pastor that he brought on, and he's been usurping the authority. And then, remember, this is a Baptist pastor. Then I said, well, the Lord gave me a word for this church and for you. You are the pastor, not him. And you have to maintain. I went through a little exhortation to encourage him and to tell him how important that little work was. It was a small building. I mean, it wasn't a huge building, but it was effective. It was reaching souls they didn't know about, like me. Now, this year, as we're going on vacation, every time I come around this traffic circle, this bend, I always look at that church. But this year, no church. Not even a building. Just gone. Totally gone. Whoever was running the church obviously sold the land off to developers. There's some condos going up. Beside the personal affinity that I had towards this church and its people, and the fact that God used them as a tool to lead me to Christ, I couldn't help but to think that this was, once again, a sign of the times. I don't know what became of the old pastor. I don't know what became of the church as a whole, but I do know that every year that we've gone down there, that church stands there. The building stands there, and it was functioning. Now, there's not even a building. I truly believe this is one of those signs that we are seeing when we read in the scriptures that before the coming of the Lord, there shall be a great falling away from the faith. Now, we've been seeing this for a long, long time, but I can see it escalating. It led me to think that even though we're located in a rather remote and somewhat humble set of circumstances here where we are, I believe we are serving a greater purpose than we know at the moment. How many people write to me? Well, it's not the majority, that's for sure. But if you go through the live feed on Facebook and then later on YouTube, you'll see some of the comments watching from Uganda watching from Nigeria, and then, of course, there's people I know around the country. I tune in every single week, and some on my daily broadcast as well. 
The Bible says in the book of Zechariah, despise not the day of small beginnings. Okay, well, we're well beyond the beginning. Next weekend, I have completed 34 years in this city. 34 years. We have to realize that we are well beyond a beginning. It is the Lord who does the work. We are his helpers. He's not our helper in the ministry. We are his helpers. That's why I told you about my method of teaching is to pray and to go without what we usually call a leading Sometimes I don't know exactly where I'm going to end up, and it's something like in the book of Acts, they went everywhere preaching the gospel. Sometimes I don't know where I'm going to land. I just sense that this is where I should be for your benefit. I can read the Bible on my own as I do. And it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Notice it's a pronoun. Whom? Who? It's the dealing of flesh and blood, men and women. Who should I fear? When I've got the Lord, and then again, the Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Now, In that verse, just that first verse, that little verse, two sentences, there is a lot that needs to be understood. The Lord, throughout the Bible, here we see in our King James Version, the one that we use here, the Lord is in capital letters. The translators are letting us know that's the word Jehovah. When you see Lord in lowercase in the English Bible, the King James Version, that's telling you it's the name Adonai. So we can distinguish between Adonai as Lord and Jehovah as Lord. But it's also understood, and we sang it again this morning, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And God will announce through the writers of the Old Testament as well as the New that there's only one God. Only one. And then he will announce in various places, and I'm the one, I'm he, I'm the one God, the only God, and the true God. So it must be understood, this beginning phrase, the Lord is my light, is not saying Christian preachers and Christian leadership and my local fellowship and the denomination is my light. But God himself is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I have a friend of mine who does a YouTube broadcast. I became friends with him a few years ago. And once in a while, when I have some lag time, it just so happens to be the time of night that he'll do a live stream occasionally. And I just, hey, how you doing? And every time I do that, he teaches on various subjects. And he'll announce to his audience, it's Pastor Ray. And he will then always go on one subject. This is by far, he said last time I was on, this is by far the strongest man I've ever met. And he goes through all this. So again, how old are you? And I got to put my age in and all of this here, you know, but it's, it's all good. I mean, he's really kind to me. And obviously I've made an impression on him, which I assume is a good one because he always says, you know, if Pastor Ray comes on this show, I've got to announce it. I've got to talk about it. So he disregards the other people for a while and I try to dialogue with him as fast as my fingers can type on a little smartphone, which is not really that fast. What I wanted to say is this. When we hear so much, and so many people giving advice on so many subjects, and a lot of which I watch is good. It's just good stuff. But in the end, I was speaking about the strength, the physical strength thing. How do you accomplish it? When I put down something like, well, the Lord, the response could have been, yeah, I know that, but how do you really accomplish it? You see, because we have a tendency to think in terms of how we were raised and what fellowship, denomination, the authorities that were over us and things that we were taught, not necessarily bad, but the things that we were taught, but that's not what this scripture is saying. This scripture is saying, the Lord himself is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And the Lord himself 
is my salvation, rather, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, what I want to do with you with this one verse is I want to take some words out and interpose some other words in there and see how it sounds. The economy is my light and my salvation. What shall I fear? The media is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Centers for Disease Control is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What shall I fear? And you can go on down this line. Just put in other things. And though it sounds absurd to a church that reads the Bible, what I want to say to you is this. I want you today, somewhere throughout this day, to go through. This is a routine of mine I do just about daily, if not daily. I constantly examine my life to see if there's a discrepancy between what I say I believe and what I actually believe. I want you to take time today to see if this verse is actually true in your life. Are you moved? Now look, at, I'm not advocating that we don't deal with subjects unintelligent. As a matter of fact, if you watch, it's called The Oasis now, that show on YouTube, I'm advocating intelligence. I'm advocating that Christian people mature emotionally. Because, you know, I'm going to tell you right here, and this is truly what I believe. I believe that every person on the planet is smart. I'm not saying they're all high IQ people. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that everybody has the basic intelligence. But emotional intelligence, or what's called emotional intelligence, not so much. People think emotionally. That obfuscates the intellect. And so now you have a chance to say, I quote, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? But is that what I really believe? If you're threatened by someone, well, most of you are not. If you put stock in other things, which I'm not saying that that's wrong either. But if that's at the top of your list for what you are putting your stock and trade in, then the Lord's not your light and salvation. Whatever you interject in there and you put that in there. Now, I want to tell you something else as well. On my show, The Oasis, I made a statement to those that some of you here, a couple of you watch. Most of you don't. I want to make it clear. I'm not a Trump follower. I'll also make it equally clear that I did vote for him twice. But this appellation of, to all you Trump followers, I say this, I'm not a follower of President Trump. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not following President Trump. I voted for him. He was my president. Now here's one that's even harder. The fellow we got in the White House now, he's my president. I will not be like those people over there whom we criticize on the left. When they said when President Trump was elected, that's not my president. I will not join that group that we've criticized to say that he's not my president in the White House now. How about that? Because that's against the scriptures, repaying evil with evil. And it's done by people whose emotional intelligence is not quite what it should be, especially as you get in advanced years. Now, let me say something again. Donald Trump runs in 2024. I'll vote for him again. Now you know how I vote. But it was never hidden anyway. I had people approaching me in the gym, making the assumption about who, and I've been voting since I was 18. That's 50 years. And no one even asked me ever who I voted for. Not once. But in this election, assumptions were made by associations with either Christianity, the church, or whatever, and people come and they would badger me. Well, they didn't get very far with that, but they tried. I just want to make it clear, no president of the United States is or ever has been my light and my salvation. I'm not putting my trust in the arm of the flesh or in horses and chariots and so on as the scripture says. The Lord is my light and my salvation and him alone. And he is the strength of my life. I'm sincere about that. I really am. That's the truth. 
You know my favorite biblical character when I was uninitiated into the Bible was Samson. I still like him. But it's clear that Samson's physical strength did not come from working out. It did not come from anabolic steroids. It didn't come from PEDs. It didn't come from taking protein supplements. It came by the Spirit of the Lord. So there it is. There's my philosophy on physical strength. So I would suggest strongly that you look at this verse and put things in and out of the word Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. And try some other things that you're involved in or interested in and see if it works. But more importantly, be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself if you're going to advance. You have to really look at things and say, hey, this is really how it is. We all like to think of ourselves in terms other than what is reality But if we're going to advance in the Lord, then we're going to have to, as the expression goes, get real. The truth of it is, you can put it in political parties. Put it in whatever you want. That's my light and that's my salvation. Because for many people who profess Christ, it is. I've announced to you, and I'm going to announce it again. God is working a plan out that began in the book of Genesis. And we have the privilege, the responsibility, and the rights to do many things in this country. And I'm going to emphasize responsibility that we have to exercise. And again, I'm not advocating walking away from things. I'm saying deal with it intelligently and deal with it biblically. The more you go evil for evil and punch for punch and blow for blow, it just gets worse. And here is the bad news. For all the criticism leveled at the other side, in reality, you're just the same. See, this is how I deal with myself. So if you think I'm being rough on you, I'm much rougher with myself. I hold myself to the standard of the Bible. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let me just try one more. My employer is the light of my salvation. My employer is the strength of my life. Now you say no and all that, but you think about it when you go home. You see, we already know the expected response in church services. I'm saying go home and think and think deeply. Does your employer actually hold your salvation, your light? Are they really your strength? Is your company going under? Many are. How are we going to eat, you say? How are we going to dress? And I point you to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said, don't say, what are we going to eat? How are we going to dress? For your Lord knows, your Father rather, he knows what you have need of. I'm convinced that we don't even know what we have need of. But the Father does, and he will always supply. Well, that's Jesus' teaching. So now ask yourself, is the Lord really my light? Because that's the wisdom. Light is wisdom. It's how we see things. We see it clearly. We see it for what it is. That light shines on us. We see ourselves for what we are. And then we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, change my heart. Change me. And there's the task. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Look at verse 2. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh... They stumbled and fell. This was an act of God. All throughout the history of Israel, in so many places, I'm trying to say in my mind, trying to think rather in my mind that I think it's every single story. They're always outnumbered. Statistically, they should not be winning the wars they're winning. But they win because this Lord, who is God truly, promises to intervene. In fact, my eyes just fell on the 24th Psalm. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. The Lord mighty in battle. The Lord mighty in battle. There are wars and there are wars that are ordained of God. 
we got to get real about that as well. God ordains certain wars. I wouldn't say everyone, but he ordains certain wars. But he's the one that's mighty in battle. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat at my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Every one of you here has an enemy. I would assume that most of your enemies are not of the serious kind that we have coming against America, for example, or against certain celebrities and people of importance or perceived importance. But you have enemies. But if the Lord is your light, I mean the Lord is your light, truly the Lord is your light and your salvation, and he's the strength of your life, they will stumble and they will fall, and they will wear themselves out at the door trying to get to you, and they will not be able to. They will not be able to, because the Lord is strong and mighty in battle. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Remember, this is a psalm of David. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident, which was what he already mentioned, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, let's just take this out, because see, in David's time, he was actually physically surrounded by real soldiers. They were outnumbered. He was outnumbered. And says, even though a host should encamp against me, my heart will not fear. David was looking at the Lord who controls the outcome of every battle. So let's look at the host of things that come up against us daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. And we're overwhelmed. I'm talking to many, many people. And I talk to many, many people in the course of a week through many venues and ways. And everybody is feeling overwhelmed. Right? Stressed. That's what stress is. You're overwhelmed. You don't know what to do. When you don't know what to do, I'll tell you what to do. Say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom? Shall I be afraid? You go to the doctors and he says, cancer. It causes fear. Well, that's just natural. But now is cancer the Lord of your life? Or is Christ the Lord of your life? I've been there, not with cancer, but heart disease. As far as I was concerned, I was in perfect health. I did not have one cardiac symptom, not even one. Then I hear the announcement, you need open heart surgery. I said, what? Doing fine on stress tests, working out every day as I have for all my life, and on and on. But I see, I had to make a decision right then. This is not like I'm looking back and saying, oh, I actually said, the Lord is the Lord of my physical heart. And you know what? Well, I know God has a purpose for my life, so that's an advantage for me. But you know what? If that was God's time to take me, it's still a win. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you look at the Bible and you actually believe what it says, you can't lose. But let me reiterate this one more time. And be truthful with you. The majority of people who say they trust in the Lord do not. Again, we know what we're expected to say in Bible teaching churches. Well, the Lord's much stronger in my life. But I told you I'm a very observant person. You go home and look at yourself. You go home and look in the mirror of reflection and contemplation and say, what is it I really believe? Now, fear, for example, my heart shall not fear. Fear comes on all of us. No one's exempt. I still have it. It'll come to visit me at times when I'm not expecting it. But when it does, I draw a line in the sand. I said, you don't take any more steps in my mind. Because the Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation. I will not fear you. Because the worst that can happen to you is that you die. And in that case, if you do it on my watch, I give you a great funeral. <laughs> it's beautiful. You should be there. Maybe one day you will be. <laughs> that is the worst thing that can happen to you in this life. And Jesus says not to fear, for I have conquered the grave. Remember, our Jesus is resurrected. All the other philosophers are in the grave somewhere. 
Ours has an empty tomb. They don't really know. They take you on these tours and say, this was the grave of Jesus. They don't know. So you go in there, you get all excited that it was the grave of Jesus, but I wouldn't get too excited because nobody knows precisely where he was buried. And certainly nobody knows where Moses was buried because God did that funeral personally. And it was private. It was just Moses and God. You see, if you truly have overcome the fear of death, everything else is negotiable because you say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? To make this applicable to the time we live in right now, and this could change when someone's watching it a year from now, let me just mention briefly vaccines. There's a score of opinions out there, but I have shared with you both on my program and with you here. Whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, that's a decision that you have to make as an individual between you and your physician. Okay. But what I'm reading, I'm just dealing with the Christian element. And I study a lot. I've read cover to cover 21 books so far this year. In addition to my Bible study, my Bible reading, and many other things that I do. I do a lot of reading. And I find there's an element of fear. Forget these people over here. I'm talking about coming from the Christian community. I've been vaccinated all my life. And I know that some people have had bad reactions. I've spoken to some of you. I've heard other stories from other people. I understand. That's why you have to make that decision with your physician, with your doctor. But I would greatly encourage you to get away from this business of reading, Facebook. Well, you know what? I'm telling you, I've seen some of your posts, and they're not accurate. I do the research. I have the book, and the only book he's written so far, by Robert Malone, sitting right in front of my chair. And I think a lot, and I think independently. I think for myself, and I try to think through the Bible. And let me just quickly say this. The Lord never instructs us to be fearful about anything. Nothing. Nothing. So in this area here, my advice to you is you make a decision as an individual between you and your physician and let it go. But don't be inside the Christian community forming another schismatic group. All right. right. Let me tell you this story. How many of you remember from your American history Cotton Mather? One. Two. Three. (laughs) Who was Cotton Mather? He was an imposing figure in the founding of our country. He was, you say? Yeah, he was. A Puritan preacher, a prolific author, an outstanding example of a Christian man. Well, there was a smallpox pandemic in 1720, a long time ago. And they found an inoculation, which today we would call a vaccine. And Cotton Mather was, I'm not, but Cotton Mather was telling his people, get it. And inside the Christian community, one night while he was speaking, they threw a bomb as an explosion to kill him. That didn't come from the left. That came from people with Bibles in their hands in this new land that we now call America to kill the man, not for his preaching as a Puritan. And believe me, the Puritans were straight. They were strict. But for his stance on the vaccine. Now, I'm not telling you what to do. That's between you, your physician, and God. I'm saying that he went public with his congregation and others, and when people heard of it, one group of Christian people threw a bomb. Thankfully, it didn't explode. I find that amazing. I really do. Cotton Mather. You're not sure who he is? Look him up. And you can look up that instance. But that shows you there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. They tried to kill the preacher, not because of his preaching, but because he encouraged people, his congregation, which once again I'm saying, I'm not encouraging you to do anything. Vote your conscience, do what's good for your health, and decide with your doctor. And um, leave me alone. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Look at verse 4. We talk about chaos and confusion. 
And David, he, well, the Holy Spirit through David narrows down life to one thing. I hear talk, and I read about this in the books that I read, about minimalists, minimalizing. And I say to myself, isn't this ironic? Here in America, we started out saying, just see how much can you get and get more and get more and get more and get more. And those, some of those same people are saying, now I'm just minimizing. I guess you didn't find in getting everything that you wanted was doing this, and now you're getting down to how you first started out with very little in your house. Nobody sees the irony of this. Nobody sees the discrepancy. I see it. And I'm not saying be a hoarder, be sloppy, but it's just, I find this amusing. One thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing. That will I seek after. Now, can you say in your life, there's a one thing, I mean, just one thing that you're seeking after? Well, most of it is no. And the one thing was this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This is a, someone who minimalized his life. I've narrowed down to one thing. And by the way, this is a very popular topic now, minimizing. I spoke to you about deep work. In order to do that, you've got to select what is it you are really passionate about, gifted for, talented for, and you concentrate on that as if it were just one thing. Look at verse 5. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. In the book of Isaiah, we're taught and told, come and hide yourself till the indignation be passed. In the book of the Exodus, we see Israel hidden in their homes through the Passover. And then we read in the New Testament, Christ is our Passover. Christ is our Passover. He is our light. He is our salvation. Whom shall I fear? Is there, you know, don't answer yes or no. But is there anybody in your life that you're really afraid of? And I'll tell you this, and I spoke about this. I won't mention his name, but he was a world-famous evangelist. And I knew him and his brother-in-law. I was sharing once in his company how God has showed me how to downsize all of my fears to just one, the fear of the Lord. It's economical. So now instead of fearing death and destruction and sickness and all this stuff and the plagues and all that, you can narrow down your fears to just one. And every time the fear of the Lord is mentioned in the Bible, there's always a blessing attached to it. Health, long life, even riches. It's a paradox. I've received things I never sought after. In a contrary way, I didn't receive things I did seek after. Because God said, no, that's not good for you. You try this. I didn't even ask for it. And there it is. I want to go back to fear for a moment. A story I've told you once, maybe twice. It bears repeating now. You have two evil spirits, and they're going to a city. One is the head, the chief, and the other is just going along. The lesser of the two asks the chief spirit, what was he going to do? And he said he was going to put a plague on this city, but it would only kill half the people. Only half, which is quite a lot, which statistically is the same that Ebola kills. It's highly contagious, kills about half the people that get it. And so the younger spirit, evil spirit, said to the older one, he said, what about the rest? He said, fear will kill the rest. Fear will kill the rest. We have a culture that is constantly injecting fear, constantly fear, but not the biblical fear. Wouldn't it be great if one day they all turned around in the media and newspapers and started to inject us with the fear of the Lord? See, the church is filled, but not with this frivolous stuff. I mean, with examining the scriptures and prayer meetings and so on and a desire to live right 
in the sight of God. It may not be approved by man, but it's right in the sight of God. Instead, we have a culture that's constantly injecting us with fear. And I'm telling you this. It's not just coming from this side. It's coming from this side as well. And I'm exhorting you as your pastor and counseling you as your pastor. Reject it. Reject anything that has fear attached to it. Make your decisions intelligently without emoting all over the place. And do it in the fear of the Lord. Be at peace with God inside yourself. That is the most important thing. In the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Verse 6, And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. As you see, we recently added some singers back in again. And we were here rehearsing Thursday night. And if you've ever seen the Bill Gaither shows, you know, the whole family sitting around, and that's what it reminded me of. So Randy over here decides to play something a little different that wasn't in our thing, and we just kind of roll with it, and we get harmonies going. And I want to tell you that whether it was Thursday night or Sunday this morning, and I'm on two instruments and singing, every day is the same to me, singing praise to the Lord. Now, you weren't here when we were rehearsing, just a couple of us, yet the presence of God is still there. O thou that inhabits the praise of Israel. O thou, and we could change it and say, O thou that inhabits the praise of the church, sing unto the Lord a new song. And that's because the Lord is your light and your salvation, not anything else. You ever get down? You ever get depressed? Ever get discouraged? I'm there daily. Daily. News. What should we do? This, that. Then I got to remind myself, well, who's your light and your salvation? It's the Lord. So who should I be afraid of? He's my light. Who? What do I have to be afraid of? Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. And I want to announce once again that this is God saying, seek me. Seek me. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Here, David relies on past history. And many of you here have past history. There was a man, pastor, who in a discussion with the younger pastor, and there were some other pastors standing around listening, started to just, you know, older sometimes people get to that, you know, braggadocia. And he announced to the younger man as they were giving this young man, young pastor, some advice. He says, I've been in the ministry for 30 years. But his friend, another man, another pastor, had the courage and the boldness to say, you haven't been in the ministry for 30 years. You've been in the ministry for one year, 30 times. Does that describe you? Oh, I've been in the way. Well, it's time that you get out of the way. <laughs> I've been living like this for 30 years, young man. Or have you been living it for one year, 30 times over, going around in circles, like Israel in the wilderness? We want to advance. We want to go forward. We want to have power in ourselves, power in the church, power in the preaching and the teaching, power in the laying on of hands. Christ promised us that if we laid hands on the sick, they would recover. And recover is a key word, because it doesn't mean that a Christian never gets sick. I just exhorted the people yesterday in my daily broadcast, don't you let some preacher put onto you, the reason you have the troubles you have is because you have no faith or little faith. I heard it again just recently. I thought that went away, and it didn't. Well, I guess she's sick because she didn't have faith. Boy, would I like to grab hold of that person in person. Really? Have you noticed that all the people in this Bible had troubles? Do you notice every single one of them were tempted, tested? Some of them failed. Many of them failed, not Jesus, but many of them failed. 
You could say they all failed in some point, on some point or another. Now some preacher come along and say, well, the reason you're sick is because you don't have faith. Let me tell you something. Not only was I acquainted with this world-famous evangelist, I was in the company of others who were also nationally known at one point in period in my life, some internationally known. I was in their company fairly often, but often. And let me tell you what I found in my own personal experience. In those private conversations, they weren't quite what they were in the pulpit. They weren't quite what they were on television. And I remember walking away from one or two of these sessions disillusioned. Now I go back to the scriptures and figure it out. Talk is cheap, as they say. And we know the expression, you either talk the talk or you walk the walk. That's an old expression. Sylvester Stallone used it a lot in his movies, but you either talk the talk or you walk the walk. And Christ didn't say, just talk the talk and you'll be okay. He said, walk the walk. Make sure that you are truly fearless. That doesn't mean you're going to not be tempted to be afraid, because we all are, and I am much tempted. I just resist it and speak to it. And say, in Jesus' mighty name. But don't you let somebody on the radio, on the television, tell you that, well, if you had more faith, you wouldn't be sick. Because I'm telling you, I've been with years ago now, it's many years ago, with some of these people that advocated it back then. And of course, there's so many new ones. I'm telling you the truth. Their life didn't always match up to what they themselves preached, what they themselves taught. And I was with them. So I know. One preacher who went on television, because I saw him. I used to watch him on Sundays before I went to church. I was a young Christian. And he would talk about, if you really trusted God, then you can go out and get your furniture and whatever, and you get it on time, and you get it on the cuff, you get it on your card, because God will pay it off. And this is, everybody's clapping, clapping, clapping. Then I went to one of his meetings, a crusade down on Long Island. You know, he spent 40 minutes on the offering, 40 minutes, talking to people about the financial needs of the ministry, and so on and so forth. And then he said this, he said, don't you do anything foolish by putting a faith check in the basket. He said, if you don't have it in the bank, don't put it in the basket. And it was at that point, me being Ray Barnett, I wanted to stand up with all these people and say, you hypocrite. Yeah. Now I think I would. Now I know I would. Well, now I know I wouldn't be there to begin with. <laughs> but since it was almost all black audience and I didn't want to make it look like it was a racial thing, I kept my mouth shut and I said to this friend who brought me there, I said, I thought this guy believed in buying things on time because God's going to pay it off, but he don't want it in the basket. You see, there's a discrepancy, a major discrepancy between what he says and what he actually believes and what he actually does. And that's not something that you want put onto you because they are men of reputation. That's in the book. These people go around with a reputation that is largely either undeserved or way out of balance and way out of proportion. Look for godly people in the small places, in the quiet places, in the dark places. Look for godly people who've been tested and tried again and again and again and again. Just like the glass that we see on the seashore, it's been brought in and taken out and brought in and taken out and brought in and taken out until finally you pick up a piece of glass, you can rub it in your fingers like this, and it cannot even cut you. It's so smooth. And that's what God does with his servants. Pulls you and drags you across the sand and pulls you and drags you. And then you get to the place, I know I've been there, where I tell God, I really can't take any more. Now, I know that you've not been there, but I have. And as I get older, it seems like I'm there more often. I'm saying, God, I really can't take much more. Oh, God. But God is so merciful because he knows how to take us to the making point, not to the breaking point. And when we know that we really can't, sometimes I really can't go on unless he strengthens me 
Then, as God's people, you pray for me and others, and they feel the grace come back in, and you're rejuvenated, and you're renewed. Even as it says in the scriptures, though the outward man perisheth, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, let me just ask you. You've not been taken through those kind of trials, right? No. It's just me. The weak, faithless preacher. Oh, yes. I'm not like that guy on television or that girl on television or this person. They're real faith people. I've been tested. I've been tried. I've been through the ringer. I've been brought through the fire. I've been brought through the waters. They're over my head. But always through the blood and always through the power of the Holy Spirit does God revive his people. Does God revive his servants? Been through the ringer? That's it. Just a couple. Good for you. The rest of you know we'll have any problems. Again, I quote a 60s statement saying, get real. Get real about this book. You suffer from fear. You suffer from anxiety. You have bouts of depression and so on. That's human nature. We're all subject to these things and many other things. Anger. How many of you never get angry? I'm never angry. Never. I may lie once in a while, but I want to lash out. I want to tell people what's really on my mind. I want to tell people what I really think about them. Not you here, but I mean, I want to tell people, let me tell you something. You have no idea who you're dealing with here. Back off. In fact, I just told somebody recently, I'm not the kind of guy you want to push too much, so let it go. And he listened. Yeah, we struggle with these things because it's part of our flesh, it's part of our nature. All these things. But we can do all things through Christ. Christ, who strengthens us. Because every trial that we go through is designed by God to make us stronger. The only problem with it is that if you renege on it, you'll get weaker. So you have to say, I will not be moved. Jesus is my Savior, and I shall not be moved. I won't be moved. And that's when you cry at that, oh God, help me not to be moved, because I just want to leave. I just want to go. I've had enough. Let me finish this. I like this verse, the 10th verse of Psalm 27. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. May not be the church, may not be the local pastor or the elders or whoever, but the Lord will take me up. That's why we call him Father. Our Father. You know, so many stories throughout time of people who receive Christ and come home and announce to their family, hey, I'm born again. Why? Well, I mean, I became a Christian. We're Christians. And then the behavior changes. People who drank don't drink and did drugs don't do drugs and the anger is whatever. The odd thing is that others don't like it. I told you the story about the young woman that we had in our youth group years ago. It was on drugs. Received Christ, got off the drugs, was doing great. Read the Bible, went into her room, read the Bible, sometimes a long time, and sang and all of this. And one day her mother had had it and said to her, you know, I liked you better when you were on drugs. Is that what she did? Going back on drugs. That's the last I ever heard of her. I don't know what became of her after that. Her mother said, I liked you better when you were on drugs. And so she went back to doing drugs. But even if your father and your mother forsake you, the Lord will never forsake you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always, Jesus said. Even to the end of the age. And we're not there yet. We may be getting very close. But we're not there yet. And Jesus has not departed from his church or from his people. 
Not from your life. He's still available to answer all questions. In Matthew chapter 17, look at it later. Jesus talks about why they couldn't cast the devil out. He says, because of your unbelief, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove from hence to yonder place, and it shall be done, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. That's the verse in my life at this moment that's the most challenging. It's a good challenge. And I say to myself, nothing shall be impossible to me because it's coming from God's hand. Think about that. You're up against it today. Problems here and problems there and problems everywhere. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. Don't look at yourself. You're weak in yourself. Look unto the Lord. He has no weakness. He's never known weakness. And he never gets tired. He's never weary. He never gets sick. He's never at a loss for words Say, I hear your prayer request. Get back to me. I got to think about this. He's all wisdom. He's everything. That's the Lord. If he's truly your light and truly your salvation, that's what we have. The immovable rock of our salvation. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of my enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of my enemies, for false witnesses are rising up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I don't know if you've ever had a false witness talk about you. I'll tell you a very quick story. A woman left the church some years ago, many years ago. It wasn't a good reason, but she left. So another woman who was friendly with her wanted to know why. And this was what she said. She said, well, I really can't say why. I can only tell you that the man, meaning me, that you see in the pulpit is not the same man behind closed doors. So this woman, who had actually been sexually molested by a pastor, assumed this was the referral, which it wasn't. But why do people do things like this? Let me tell you, this person that I'm thinking about that made that report on me has not been doing very well. I'm not sure she's even in the church. The point is this. If you've not had false witnesses, people say things behind your back and all that. And if you aren't sensitive, it hurts. Especially when it comes from a friend. Et tu, Brute? You too? Is it just me? No. You don't care who says what against you, right? No. It's devastating when it comes from this guy, but it's more devastating when it comes from someone that you loved and you trusted and you thought was a friend or a family member. But here it says, don't deliver me over to my enemies for false witnesses are risen up against me and the breathing out cruelty. Listen to the 13th verse. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That, what he's saying here is that, okay, the next world, great. But I would faint if I didn't believe. I want to see God's hand move while I'm still alive. The flesh is weak. You're just at it so long. The body's getting tired and the mind's getting tired. I would have fainted if I didn't believe. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I tell you, I can't figure this all out. But I'm believing to see God's goodness in my own life. Before I leave this planet, because I know I'm going to see it there. But we need it now. We need it now. The goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Here it is. Wait on the Lord. Now, that's not one of our best features. We never want to wait. I wanted to get these eyeglasses, and everybody's lined up against the wall. I said, do I have to make an appointment? No, just sit and wait. <laughs> I said, are you going to wait? I said, what's the best time to come when people aren't here? He said, come around one. I said, I'll be back. I'm going to sit around waiting for a pair of glasses with 100 million people sitting in there. But when it comes to the Lord, that is not something we want to hear either. In time, this will pass. I don't want to wait. I want it to pass right now. Just like you want me to finish right now. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. What does it mean when you don't have courage? It's called discourage, which many times is what is the cause of depression. I thought when I went to the doctor, it was going to be a good report. Wait. 
on the Lord. It ain't over yet. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So what are you waiting for? Wait on the Lord. Things aren't changing fast enough for us, right? We think that the United States will change this because it changes the way we click a button on the TV. There it goes. Hey, we're good. God's saying, no. This plan is grinding out slowly. In his timing, wait, I say, on the Lord. Can you say today, in truth, it's the Lord that's your light and your salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's the Lord that is the strength of your life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I ask you to go home and examine yourself. Sister back there, they told you, hey, they're going to have to open up your chest. And, and then you kept saying, no, you're not opening up my chest. You're talking to doctors here. I mean, doctors. And they're all saying, no, 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 open up your chest. And you went down to see some good doctors that I happen to know. And they said, why are they telling you that? You go right through your leg. Bing, bing. You go home. Amen. And that's men. What happens when we go to God? Wait, I say on the Lord. Wait and be of good courage. That's the question I want you to ask yourself today. Would you bow your heads with me? Who, what are you waiting for? Who, what are you waiting on? And can you honestly say to yourself, not to the whole world, to yourself, the Lord is my light and he's my salvation. I'm not going to be afraid of anything or anybody. The Lord is the strength of my life. I don't know of anybody that I'm afraid of. In the natural, we are afraid of people, places, things, events. Yeah, well, that's just natural. Sure, of course. It takes an effort of the will. So I want to exhort you today, while we're here, to exert your will and take a short assessment. Take a longer one when you go home. And take a short assessment of your life. And hey, if you have the courage and you can't really examine yourself without bias, someone that's close to you, a husband, wife, somebody that's close to you, and say, What are my faults? That takes courage, but you'll be better for it in the end. And then make sure that it's Christ himself that is your light. It's Christ himself that is your salvation. It's Christ himself, not religion, the risen Christ. Through an act of your will, just say today, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I can. Now, you can't without him, but you can with him. Oh, but it's taking such a long time. Wait on the Lord, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait. Father, I know there are many people going through periods of discouragement, disillusion, depression, anxiety, and frustration, and anger. But God, in the 37th Psalm, you tell us, fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. You tell us to wait, to do what's good. I pray, Lord, that we continue to bind together the days to come. Let others do whatever they're going to do, but that we can find strength in you and encouragement in one another. Help us, God, to do what is right in your sight. And God, I just ask you, those watching on television, those listening by the way of the radio, and those sitting here in the sanctuary, they can honestly say and know and have the assurance, it's the Lord that's my light, and it's the Lord that's my salvation. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Set it in the heart, steady God. Set it in my heart. And help us to appreciate the fact that you are, and you are a rewarder of those that diligently seek for you. We bless you, and we praise you, and we thank you. You are worthy of praise. <laughs> worthy of praise. So, Father, help us today 
to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. And then God help us to love one another. Two greatest commandments. We bless you and we thank you that we have this in any age really, but especially in this age. You are our rock. You do not move. Not ever. Not even once. We praise you, Father, for this. In Jesus' mighty name, can all of you say today with me, amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.